Hey, hey, welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, December 25th, 2023. For those of you celebrating, I hope you are having a wonderful Christmas. My guest today is Dr. Olivia Grubman, who is the third year MFM fellow at Mount Sinai West. Olivia is a terrific MFM and definitely could speak about any number of interesting topics. But today, she's going to be telling her own birth story. Olivia is going to discuss what it has been like struggling with infertility throughout her training to be an OBGYN and MFM specialist. Thanks, Olivia, for volunteering to tell your story. You're awesome. All right. Reminder for all of you listening on Apple or Spotify, it would be great if you could rate this podcast, preferably with five stars. Please do leave comments and suggestions. I do read all of them. Also, please email us any questions you might have for our mailbag podcast. We have a bunch coming up to send in questions. You can either email us at hw@healthfulwoman.com, or you can go to our website, www.healthfulwoman.com, and click on the link that says, send us your questions. Also, if you want to pre-order the awesome book that Emily Oster and I wrote called The Unexpected, we have a link on our website, so please do take a look at that. All right, one last big announcement. If you follow us on Instagram, and if you don't, you should, you may have seen that we dropped a little nugget last week about a concert on January 6th. As some of you may recall, when we had Lauren Turk on the podcast earlier this year, we mentioned that we are in a band together called Adult Band. Yes, snappy title. Well, we put on one show a year, and our next one is on January 6th in Teaneck, New Jersey. The concert is also a benefit for Leket, which is a great organization in Israel that provides food to those who need it. So if you want to support a great cause and hear us play some rock for a few hours, come on by. To get tickets, uh, you can Google Adult Band Teaneck and you will probably find a link for it. It should be a great show. All right. Thanks for listening. We will see you again next Monday on New Year's Day 2024. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Olivia, Dr. Grubman, welcome. Thank you for having me. Nice to have you on the podcast. This is exciting. I know. Yeah, we just started working together recently, and now we're podcasting together. It's exciting to be here. This is great. I think, who was it? Was it Rebarber that suggested, or did you just volunteer? What happened? I don't even remember. I think he suggested. He asked me what I wanted to talk about, but didn't really give me an option <laughs> of being on it, but I suggested the topic. Yeah, so it's it's nice to have you, to have you in studio and to talk about this, and we decided to pivot a little bit for two doctors. We're not going to talk about the medical side of something, but you're going to be telling your own story. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So just to set the stage so our, our listeners know who you are, give us a little bit of background, like who are you, who you are, where you're from, you know, open-ended question, any way you want to go with that. It's like an interview question. It is an interview question. So, tell me your tell me your three weaknesses. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in New York City. I went to college at Union College in up, upstate New York. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I wanted to do medical school in college. I kind of was just exploring 
taking random classes, mm-hmm. figuring out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I decided to go to medical school my last year of college. So I had to do a post back. So I moved back to the city, back home with my parents, what every uh. parents love. Um, <laughs> and the parents side, it's great. Yeah, you know. it's great for me to save money. I did um, some classes. I did some volunteer work at Sloan Kettering. And then I moved to Miami for medical school. I did a joint MD MPH program, which is a unique program. There's not many in the country with the joint program. Uh-huh. That's um, uh, MD and MPH as a master's in public, public health. health. Yes. Thinking you would do research one day or just trying to save the world or just whatever? Trying to save the world. All right, good. <laughs> just to broaden how I think. All right. I think on a more a different level. That's just, you know, thinking about one person, right. population-based. All right, how'd that go? It was great. So <laughs> I had the best time in medical school. I mm-hmm. made amazing friends and I found my husband. <laughs> <laughs> you found him just wandering around yeah. the state of Florida? We lived in the same, <laughs> we lived in the same building right. in medical school. Right, he's also, he's also a- uh, He's also a doctor. Yeah, it was really the only time I've ever lived outside of New York State. Uh-huh, so, okay. Him too? He's from Florida, actually. Oh, okay. Fantastic. So yes, but we- had to apply to big cities essentially to try and match in the same right, city. So you're right. a urologist, urology is some, if you're in a couple, in a part of a couple that both are in medicine, you can try and couples match, but urology is a separate match from OBGYN. Uh-huh. So it was a little tense applying to residency, but luckily we right. both ended up in New York City. Meaning that, meaning just so I understand the, when you did the match, you had to we each could, match separately and hope that you ended up in the same city. So urology is on a different timeline than OB. So uh, it's not even a, Got option it. to try and pair yeah. together. How did you decide on OB? I never asked you this question. It's a very good question. I Thank actually you. thought I wanted to do. This is, this is a serious <laughs> podcast. We're not throwing softballs at you. These I didn't give you the questions in advance. Um, You're I, in the hot seat. Yeah. Um, I thought I wanted to do pediatrics going mm-hmm. into medical school. And then when I was doing my OB rotation, I realized I was really excited to go in for a delivery in the middle of the night. And actually huh. my husband's like, I think you're really into this, like being excited to like get woken up in the middle right. of the night to go in for it. Did, did like, it, yeah, did you're it, right. Did that conclude with what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, He's like, I'm picking a career so I don't have to go exactly. in the middle of the night. Yeah. And I never will sleep again. Yeah. So I just like the action being mm-hmm. on labor and delivery, like having the long-term relationships with patients and really you're taking care of two patients. Right. So we came to New York City. We got married right before starting residency. I was like, we have to get married now two weeks after graduation. We had two weeks after graduation before starting residency. And it's like, if we don't get married now, who knows right. when we'll have off <laughs> the same time ever again. Right. And urology is how long of a residency? Five-year residency. So it's one year more than yours. One year more. Okay. And then we both are doing fellowship now. So I'm in my third year MFM mm-hmm. fellowship. Yeah. Olivia's a terrific fellow, by the way. Thank you. In case, in case all our listeners are curious. I am nearing <laughs> the end of training finally. And my husband is also in his last year of fellowship. So he's doing a two-year fellowship for urologic oncology. Ah, so that's how you're, you're, you're now aligned. So we call ourselves the pelvic pair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that'd be a great superhero duo, yeah. the pelvic pair. All right, good job, good job by you guys. Yeah. It's um, I you know a lot of people advise doctors not to date and marry other yeah. doctors, and others say it's great. I don't know what was you know you're still happily married, yeah. but what's wh- what years. was what was your experience like both going through training together? I That's so hard. Think pros and cons. It's definitely tense because you're both exhausted. Mm-hmm. And you're just tired all the time, especially now that we have a son and we have a dog. It's a lot of responsibility. Right. Thankfully, my parents are around and help us tremendously with babysitting. Mm -hmm. But it's hard. But also the other person knows what you're going through. So they, you know, it's not 
getting mad at me that my phone's ringing in the middle of the night or that right. I'm getting stuck in the OR because he, it could be him the next night. Right, right. No, I think, I think that's fair. And yeah. it, it's pretty crazy to think that you're almost done with your training. I can't believe it. Yeah. I feel so, so Yeah, old. no, yeah. Listen, I, I remember when I finished my training, we had sort of a graduation party. And if I think I'm correct, it was grade 23 or something like yeah. that. It's it's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, not you know, even including college. It's four years of medical school, four years of fellowship, <laughs> residency, and then three years of fellowship. It's a long time. It's a long time. Well, congratulations in advance. <laughs> Thank you. I, I presume that on the course you're headed, we'll, we'll graduate you. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't guarantee it. It's I guess it's up to to Lois and Andre. You know, I don't make that final decision, but uh, presumably, yes, good, you good. seem to be doing a good job. So, tell us about your story. Part of it is is a fertility story. Yeah. Right. So, when did you guys think you wanted to start having kids, and how'd that go? Yeah. So, infertility has become a huge part of my identity think about it every day. And I'm very open about it because I feel like I'm an OB and I, if I can't talk about it as an OB, then mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't understand how other women will be able to. So I just right. want to help empower people to be open and to talk about it. And I'm an open book and I always encourage people to ask me questions. So it was probably about one or two years into marriage that I, you know, I'm delivering babies every day. I was like, mm -hmm. let's get the show on the road. Right. I'm ready to start growing our family besides having our dog. Um, right. You had the dog already. We had the dog. We got the dog in medical school our first year, mm -hmm. which was a dangerous decision. We'd only been dating six months. <laughs> I said, if anything happens, I'm getting the dog. All right. So my husband was a little more hesitant. None of his friends had kids yet. And we're residents. So how are we going to afford and how are we right. going to have time to take care of a kid? Right. But we're happy we tried that started because it's been a long road. So we tried for six months, which... For a young, healthy person, really don't have to get a workup after six months, but right. I'm impatient. I'm an obese. So I was like, we're going to go to a doctor and see right. like what's up. So we started doing all the tests, get a semen analysis, which annoyingly was perfect. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I so wish this was your fault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. My, we did saline sonogram, which looked normal, HSG, like my tubes were fine. No reason that we could pinpoint for infertility. So we did like ovulation induction and a couple of rounds of IUI and no luck. When I started doing, I did Letrozole with the ovulation induction and they were like, oh, your lining, your endometrial lining looks a little thin. Have you had any surgeries? No, I had an mm. IUD, but I mean, we all have like, right. it's very common. That's not going to cause a thin lining or it shouldn't. So there was really no reason for me to have a thin lining. Mm -hmm. So I had a hysteroscopy. It was fine. There was nothing there. So he said, okay, let's, you know, let's talk with my doctor about moving on to IVF, which initially I think it's a hard pill to swallow just because it's a big jump and it's a lot is involved in it. Yeah. But, you know, we said we'd love more than one kid eventually. So, you know, if we can bank some embryos and just set um, ourselves up for success, hopefully in the future, right. we'll do it. So we did an egg retrieval and thankfully the doctor said my ovaries work a lot better than my uterus. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we got a lot of genetically tested normal embryos and I did two transfers with those embryos the beginning of my third year of residency and they didn't work and infertility is very, very time consuming and I'm yeah. extremely lucky that my 
pro residency program, all the attendings, all my co-residents were very supportive. And right. my doctors were like, we know we have to get you in first thing in the morning. I right. would go like 630 before sign out in the morning on labor and delivery and before my OR cases started and just try and get it out of the way in the morning. Right. Or I'd go post call. Right. I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that sort of were you I mean, you said you're an open book. Were you an yeah. open book at the time? Did like all your co-residents know and everyone know like, hey, Olivia's trying to get pregnant and she's doing IVF and yeah. was everyone sort of yeah, in I the think know? I've always been pretty open about mm -hmm. it. For me, I, it just makes it easier for me to talk about it. Yeah. And it's really impossible to hide because why would you be going to a doctor at 630 right. in the morning right. and having to miss, you know, certain aspects of your day? Yeah. And I, I was going to ask about that and also just logistically. Yeah. I would be like, it's you know, crazy. bringing my medication. If I was, when I was doing the stimulation for IVF, like bring my medicine, if I'm working a 24 hour shift, bring my medicine, keep it in the fridge. Yeah. You have to do it at certain times. Be like, okay, got to run, do my injection in the bathroom. Right. Be right back. Right. Was without naming names, was there anyone else in your program sort of similarly doing this so that it was, it was, I don't know, like a known thing. Like, it, you know, we have you know, listen, yeah. that this happens The people who are yeah. residents are usually at the age that they're right. trying to have kids or frequently at that age. And so this definitely happens. Were there other people open about it at that time? Yeah. So they're well, still one of my best friends, someone who is a year ahead of me in residency mm -hmm. was also doing IVF at the same time. Sometimes we even went for our monitoring appointments together, which was so wow. fun. They were like, do you want different rooms? They're like, it's okay. We're obviously <laughs> our best friends. We're okay in the same room. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so I should be back to back. You're uh, ultrasound. You're ultrasound next. So that was helpful to have her. She actually got pregnant with her daughter on her first try oh. and our kids are still best friends. So that's oh, nice. Yeah. That's sweet. Okay. So two failed transfers later, my doctor said, okay, time for you to use a surrogate. And I was like, okay, like that's seemed to escalate fast. Right. And while I didn't want to put off finding a surrogate, I also, what didn't feel that I was ready to stop right. trying. So I made an appointment at another clinic um, at Cornell, which, you know, the, throughout this whole process, I've been talking to friends and they're like, oh, I'll put you in touch with my friends who've done IVF or had infertility treatment. And I heard about Dr. Reichman at Cornell. So I made an appointment with him probably like six weeks out. So it was so hard, mm -hmm. hard to get in with him. Yeah. I remember my mom came with me because of course my husband, Andrew, couldn't get yeah. up for residency. You know, it's hard for, it's a lot. I basically yeah. went to all my appointments alone, yeah. not because he didn't want to be there, but because... Yeah. As a male in residency, it's really hard for him to get out. Yeah. So my mom came with me. Did his residency not know that they were going through this or just like, you know. It, He's not as open, but yeah. I think it's also like too just, bad. What are you going to do? Sit and watch culture. your wife get an ultrasound? Yeah. 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 It's 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 a little Neanderthalish. Yeah. But that's, that's how medicine rolls. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. So my mom came with me. I was impressed with Dr. Reichman. He knew my whole story before I walked in. He said, I can't guarantee you that I can get you pregnant, but we can try. Right. Um, and he put me in touch with two other people who had a thin lining and mm -hmm. who had success stories. Meanwhile, my husband and I started trying to look into the surrogacy route. Um, we spoke to a few people who had children via surrogacy, mm -hmm. or they say, oh, I learned gestational carrier. Yeah. So uh, we interviewed a bunch of agencies or met with a bunch of agencies to learn about them. You know, we learned about smaller agencies that might guarantee that you'll match sooner and might initially seem to cost less, but to us, a bigger organization seems like a safer route, but there was about a year wait mm -hmm. and it's a huge financial burden. Yeah. So that heavily weighs on that. It's not a decision we make lightly. Yeah. But we said, okay, we will proceed with this. We'll put our name down. And if we get pregnant, then we get 
like we had to put down a deposit, we get half of that deposit back. Okay. So um, we went with Circle, one of the, it's one of the big agencies. Mm-hmm. Then with Dr. Reichman, I said, you know what? I want to just try something different. I had done two frozen embryo transfers. So let's try a fresh embryo transfer just because I want to try something different. And I was in my young 30s, so mm-hmm. shouldn't be a reason to have anything genetically right. abnormal. And that was in February of 2020. Right. And for those who may not recall, February 2020 is one month before March of 2020. Yes. When the world was about to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Just set the stage for those of our listeners who forgot that time. Yeah. Okay. That was definitely an intense time. So I got pregnant with my fresh embryo transfer. Mm -hmm. And I remember I took a pregnancy test. I was on a 24 hour shift and I just like felt a little off. I think my blood test was the next day on Saturday and I was on a Friday, 24 hour shift. Mm -hmm. And I just remember, it's like, I just feel weird. And the day before I had taken a pregnancy test from the hospital, like one of the cheap ones and it Mm -hmm. was negative. And I remember texting my husband, like, why do I even do, why do I even do this anymore? Like, what's the point? I just keep getting upset. And then I had like one of the first response, like, you know, a more expensive one from their (laughs) store and it was positive. And I was like, I remember I was in like the ninth floor bathroom in the hospital. Like I know exactly where it was. And I texted, I texted my husband a picture and he's like, what is that? Like, what, what? <laughs> We're like in shock. He was did in you, the did you say like, room. Dude, it's pee. You're, yeah, you're, exactly. you're a urologist. <laughs> and I remember the friends who always came with me to my, you know, who was also mm-hmm. doing IVF. She was in the operating room downstairs. And I remember exactly which hour she was in. And I like ran down to, to show her the positive pregnancy mm-hmm. test. We're just like hugging and so excited. Right. Outside the OR. Because that's the first time you ever even had a positive. Ever had a positive pregnancy test. test. Were you, before you started with this fresh cycle, would you say you were optimistic, pessimistic, or just numb? I think a mixture. I think looking back, like I've gone through so much since then Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I probably felt pessimistic, but I think I feel a lot more pessimistic now (laughs) than I did then. But then it seems like, oh, this is my third transfer. This like, what are the odds this is going to work? Right. Um, but I was optimistic switching doctors and he seemed, he seemed optimistic, although he couldn't, you know, wasn't right. going to promise anything. And I had heard right. stories of success with him. Right, right. And how frustrating was it that it was your field? Like, it it's like, like this is what, like, this is what I do. And, you know, yeah. number one, just from an intellectual standpoint that, you know, that there's no good explanation yeah. for this. And number two, and you can answer this separately, obviously, number two, seeing all these other patients of yours get pregnant. Some of them who don't want to be pregnant are getting pregnant left and right. And you're just like, how, how painful is that? It's extremely painful. And I think that's part of why I continuously try to get pregnant myself, even though I know surrogacy is in a way easier for me, Mm -hmm. but it's extremely frustrating. It's like, I have barely any medical problems. I, we see patients who are so much sicker than me with right. like a list of medical problems and decades, like yeah. almost decades older than me and yeah. can get pregnant. I'm like, how is it possible that you can get pregnant and I can't get pregnant? So it is extremely frustrating and it's just in my face mm-hmm. every single day yeah. at how do work. You, how do you keep that from your patients? That like, that fe- you know yeah. what I'm saying? The, the reaction, the feeling, I mean, you obviously do, you know, well, yeah, but how, how do you, exactly how do, do you, you how just, do you put that wall up? I don't really have an option. I just have to put the wall up wow. and just function and go about my every day. But it is hard when patients are complaining like, oh, I don't like I have this ache and this pain or the baby's moving too much. I'm like, that's great. Like you should yeah. just be so thankful and you know, you're so lucky to be here in this position. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. So you're so you get the positive pregnancy test, but as as everyone knows, that doesn't mean it's it gonna doesn't happen. Mean every, right. Right. And then the problem was COVID hit. 
Right. So then I'm like, okay, well, my husband was on a rotation at Elmhurst at the time. And that was like ground zero for COVID. Like, yeah. That's where like on the news, you saw like the yeah. talks yeah. like outside, like dead bodies. And it was yeah. just like, I cannot be living with my husband because right. I cannot get COVID for right now. Cause we didn't know what was going to happen if you right. got COVID in pregnancy and we had worked so hard to for this pregnancy. So right. I moved in with my parents. Right. And packed. you're, you're a third year resident. As a third year resident. Yeah. And I that's, mean, and that's like, that's a real busy year. Yeah. Yeah. I was very, very fortunate that the programs that I could do telehealth visits from home for the mm -hmm. first trimester. So that was amazing from residency perspective. I moved in with my parents. I packed a little bag thinking I would go there for a week. COVID right. would pass. And it, it ends up being like three months that I was living with my parents. My husband and I would meet sometimes like in the park and like <laughs> wear our masks and like stay far apart. Oh and God. I remember like going to the doctor's office for my ultrasounds and obviously going alone because my husband couldn't come. Right. Even because he could, was a resident yeah. and because of right. COVID. Even if he could come, he couldn't right. come. Right. And I remember like one point I almost touched my eye and Dr. Rachel was like, don't touch your eye. Like, you know, because we were like, how did COVID like spread? Right. Like, right. And then like trying to get N95 masks. And it was just a really scary time. But life went on and we had a really amazing pregnancy. Uncomplicated, thank God. And my, what I was going to have my 39 week induction. Mm. My water broke at 38 weeks. And I have a Halloween baby. So my fourth year of residency, Ryan was born. And I had, you know, my very short maternity leave. <laughs> I'm back to residency, I went. <laughs> so when, as the pregnancy is progressing, right, you know, you're out of the first trimester. Yeah. Like, at what point did you sort of make that mental shift to, like, I can't believe this is happening to, like, this is happening, right? I'm, I'm having I a really baby. I really don't think until he was born. I mean, once uh -huh. you can was, see was your that belly a, Yeah, was that a fertility moving? thing or a COVID thing? I think it's an OB thing that we mm -hmm. see the worst happen. Right. And like, you know, you don't feel safe until the baby's out and in your arms. Okay. So what was that birth like? It was actually great. Like uh -huh. I was, I mean, I was annoyed that he was going to be born on Halloween initially, right. but now I've embraced that. Right. You didn't uh, have, you, you, it was already the time where you could have someone with you and everything, right? Yes, yeah. Thankfully I could, but I mean, my husband also had a Mount Sinai ID, which was nice. Ah, uh, fair. Um, oh, you, and, so you delivered, you delivered at Sinai West. Yeah. I'm outside New West, um, but he worked in the system. So right, he right. could have, you know, but it was hard. I mean, my mom also works at Mount Sinai West. Mm -hmm. So she was able to be there, which, you know, if I think you were probably only allowed one partner, but she came right. in and then. Right. I was, I mean, I think it was hard that, you know, other family members couldn't come in, right. but there were so many people in and out of our room, yeah. like saying yeah. hi. And Andrew's right. like, this is just yeah. exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> like, you had a good working epidural? Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> now, epidural was the best part. Now, I'm curious about your decision to deliver at the hospital where you were resident. Mm -hmm. And we've had other, we've had other OBs on talk about this and there's obviously pluses and minuses. Yeah. How did you ultimately choose to say like, you know what, again, everyone's going to see my business. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think going through infertility, you're like, uh -huh. you're getting ultrasounds like every other day for mm -hmm. weeks at a time. And you're like, everyone's seeing my business anyway. Right. And as an OB, you're like, you know, if, like you see like so much that yeah. it's like, you don't remember like, Right. What I look like for someone else, like, right. it's just, well, I don't know, part of business. Right. And my program, my residency program director, uh, Dr. Bussman, who's mm -hmm. now the fellowship director, like, right. had been through it all with me. Mm -hmm. And she's like the second mom to me. So there was no doubt in my mind that she was going to deliver me. Wow. Okay. Listen, I think yeah. that's, I think that's terrific. It's, you know, some people want like anonymity yeah. when they're delivering. They don't want people to know who they are yeah. or to know like if something happens or let's say you 
you know, become a, you know, start screaming out crazy things during yeah. labor. <laughs> they don't want you, they don't want to work yeah. with you the next day. And others are like, no, I want, like, I want the nurses that I know and the yeah. doctors that I know and the anesthesiologists that I know. And I, I want to feel familiar yeah. and get some special treatment even potentially. So, I mean, and all yeah. my co-residents, like we're on the journey with me. So yeah. like, you know, they were all so excited. That's I would great. have loved any of them to help. That's, that's great. Yeah. So <laughs> when did you ultimately go back to work? It was Christmas Eve. Yeah. I went back. Okay, so it's, it's a few weeks. Yeah. Almost I mean almost almost eight weeks, I think. Okay, yeah. that's you know, that's that's yeah. better than some, I would better say. Than some. I mean my husband had maybe a week off. So Yeah, yeah, I I yeah, I've been there. So okay, so he's born fertility cured, right? Yes. All right, done. So done. what so well, tell me about moving forward from there. So of course I'm like, I'm never gonna use birth control again. Right. That's ridiculous. I I hated breastfeeding, so I breastfed for about a month. This mm -hmm. is like something I'll I did not have a good experience breastfeeding, which is another story. But my husband's like, maybe your body just doesn't respond to hormones and that's why you can't breastfeed and that's why you're infertile because I never produced it often. I was like, okay, let's calm down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so getting regular periods for a year, not getting pregnant, not using birth control. Okay, so he turns a year and I'm like, okay, let's just go back because we don't know how long it's going to take. So we went back to Dr. Reichman. Okay, I did an ultrasound, did blood work. Everything looks fine. He said, come back with your next period and we'll do a saline sonogram to make sure your uterus looks good before we do another transfer. Right, because you had embryos. We had a lot of embryos, thankfully. Yeah. So then we had embryos from our first batch. That was before our first ever transfer. And then from Ryan's batch, right. I call it, the February 2020 <laughs> right. batch. So we had a bunch of frozen embryos, thankfully, genetically tested and normal. So I get my period and I call my call them and I said, okay, I'm ready to do my saline sonogram. And I go there and they make you do a, you, a urine pregnancy test and you get there. So I'm like standing there naked looking at the urine pregnancy test. I'm like, that's positive. I'm like, how, how am I an OBGYN? <laughs> I didn't know I was pregnant. Like, this is so embarrassing. And then like, I'm standing there naked and he knocks and he's like, I'm like, oh, do you need more time? I'm like, Dr. Reichman, look. And he's like, what? And the nurse, I know that all the nurses there very well at this right. point. And they're like, oh my God, like, you're pregnant. Right. And He's like, wait, like, how am I going to bill you for all this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, awkward, I'm just kidding. Awkward. That's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> and I send Andrew a picture and he's like, is that a COVID test? Do you have COVID? And I'm like, do you remember where I was this morning? I'm going at Dr. Reichman's office. And I'm like, okay, should we do an ultrasound? He's like, yeah, but I can tell there's going to be something there. Like that's the strongest positive. So we look and there's a yolk sack and I'm all excited. And oh, you're like legitimately pregnant and didn't know about it. Yeah. I was like yeah. five weeks, I guess. <laughs> There wasn't a heartbeat or anything, but mm -hmm. I was pregnant. Right. So um, I remember I called doc FaceTime Dr. Brussman when I was leaving, like with the picture. And she's like, is that you? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like, that's in my uterus. <laughs> and I remember he called her parents. They're like, we had an interesting day. Like Olivia went for a saline sonogram and she's pregnant. So then we're nervous, but we're like, oh, this is so exciting. Like we spontaneously got pregnant and everything's looking great. And I'm doing an ultrasound every week because I'm anxious and I'm around ultrasounds all the time at this point because I am a first year fellow. Right. And we see a heartbeat and it's growing and everything's exciting. And then I remember very vividly, it was a Thursday afternoon. I was in diabetes clinic with Dr. Bruston. And I was like, let's just check. You know, I want my weekly ultrasound. I want to make sure it's like everything's looking good. And we're in the private office and she's like looking abdominally because at that point you had been able to see it abdominally and I'm like, we don't see it. And it's just like, mm, this is weird. So we do a transvaginal ultrasound and we still don't see the heartbeat and we're like starting to get really nervous. Mm. So we go over to the ultrasound unit where there's better ultrasounds and we have one of the techs meet us. And I remember Andrew was there that day and I called him and I was like, there's no heartbeat. You have to come meet me. And 
the ultrasounds had confirmed that there was no heartbeat. How far along were you? About nine weeks. Oh. So, but we're like, you know, I, you know, I was like, okay, I need this over now. Like, I just want it out. Right. I want to move on. This was a pregnancy that like we never thought would happen because we never thought we would spontaneously get pregnant. And I was feeling like horrible and nauseous and tired. And I was like, I just want to feel better. Like, get it out. And I called, I think I emailed him like Dr. Reichman in a panic being like, we got a, like, this is what happened. He's like, are you sure? Did you scan yourself? Was this real? And I was like, yes, Dr. Reichman, someone <laughs> yeah. legitimate scanned me. I wasn't scanning myself. And he's like, okay, well, you can't, I don't want you to do a DNC because I'm worried He's always very worried that I'm going to get Asherman's or right. scar tissue because yeah. of my thin lining. So he's like, you need to do a medical AB. I'm like, okay, that's annoying, but fine. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you need to collect the products so we can send it for genetic testing. And I'm like, okay, now you're asking a lot. But right. okay. So I like get the little pan that goes in the toilet from the hospital. Oh, <laughs> I bring it home mm-hmm. and I get my medication. And Friday morning, we drop Brian off with my, or Saturday morning, we drop Brian off with my parents. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I, someone they gave me half an Ativan, which was like the best thing ever. I fell asleep. I took my medication and I woke up like three hours later. It was like a great nap. And I called Dr. Breast and was like, nothing's happening. Like, I feel fine. And then she's like, are you sure? And then I stand up and I'm like, it just like pours yeah. out. And then my friends who also, the one who had been with me, like the whole path of our, like through infertility happens to live in my building at the time. So my husband's like hiding in our apartment and my friends and I are like going through my products of conception in our bathroom, like Ugh. trying to make sure we like got it. <laughs> and we did. And then I kept it in my fridge until Monday, which my husband like, yeah, just like oh, the whole thing was a very weird situation, but I'm very thankful I did it because it was genetically abnormal. Mm-hmm. So that made me feel better that there was yeah. a reason for it. Then I go back for my saline sonogram and... There or my beta HCG isn't going down. Something he realized he didn't ultrasound maybe a week after, and he's like, you know, just to make sure that it was all out, and it wasn't. So I'm like, oh, of course, anything that can go wrong for me is going to go wrong. So I have retained products of conception. So he doesn't want to do a blind DNC because again, he's worried about Ashman. Right. So he's like, we have to remove this hysteroscopically, and I'm like, okay, right, great, whatever. And then he wants the. It was like very vascular. We've never really seen anything like it. So he's watching the beta HCG downtrends. Every week I'm getting blood work. I'm alternating between his office and our office Mm -hmm. at the hospital. And it's going down. And then at one point I just start like hemorrhaging. Like I'm on L&D doing, I don't remember if it's a 12-hour shift or 24, whatever, during the day. And I'm doing a C-section. I like feel something rushing down my leg. And I'm like, wait, this isn't the patient's blood. Like this is my blood. And I'm like, oh my God, like I'm hemorrhaging from these retained POCs now. Like we got to get this out. So I like, I was like, okay, I'll deliver the baby. And then I just remember like looking up and I was like, I need someone to scrub me out. Like the like I need to go to the bathroom. And it's Saturday, it was a weekend. And I like called the resident and I was like, I need you to bring me like the underwear from the patient's underwear, a patient pad and a new pair of scrubs. And I finished my shift and I was emailing him and he was like, okay, we'll move, you know, we'll get the surgery going. So you had it like later that week, the hysteroscopy. And then I got to walk around with a Foley balloon for 10 days to try and prevent, in my uterus, to try and prevent Asherman's. Which I was really worried about and I thought it'd be extremely uncomfortable, but it wasn't at mm. all. Okay, so then that's over. So that was, I guess, June of my first year of fellowship. So mm. I'm finishing up my first year of fellowship, starting my second year. And I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. I want to like get back on. So it's like a, a year and a half ago, give or take. Yeah. Okay. So like I'm ready to get back on and try again because I want to use my genetically tested embryos now. Right. So then we do a saline sonogram, everything looks good. And we keep doing, we do a the first embryo transfer. And I remember I was like, 
this is going to work. Maybe my first batch of embryos was like botched and I just needed these like Cornell embryos and these are great embryos. Right. Dr. Eichmann like knows what to do and this is going to work because Ryan worked and right. this should work. And that I was like very optimistic. I remember at that point and it didn't work. And I'm like, okay, well, it took me three times last time. Like, let's right. keep going. So we keep trying different protocols, like natural cycle, medicated cycle, like this medication, this medication, different medications and nothing's working. So then I think it's about embryo transfer number seven, where he's like, I think you're like, we need to sit down and like read room. Like this right. is getting a little crazy. Like we really should go back to surrogacy again. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, they still have half of my down payment. I'm right. not opposed to it. We can get back on the surrogacy list, but I'm not done trying. Right. And at that point, I think we agreed. He said, if you could match with a, sur- a gestational carrier tomorrow and it was $15, like it's a no brainer because- right. Sure. It's a much easier decision. Right. When I was like, I 100% agree with that. It's, you know, I, I'm i nauseous. I'm tired during pregnancy. Like, it's not, right. it's not like I have, like, I have this burning desire right. to carry my own child. It's right. just the financial aspect of it is huge. And I yeah. think someone, like, trusting someone else. Yeah. Tr- trusting another OBGYN that I don't know is going to be extremely hard for me. Yeah. Because my gestation. You're saying, oh, so you're saying trusting the doctor more than trusting the carrier. I trust the, I feel like it, that <laughs> the carriers are so well screened and, you know, I have to match with them and we have yeah. to get along, but like not knowing who their doctor is and they could be anywhere in the United States. And like, yeah. I know nothing about them. Like I can't say, Hey, Dr. Fox, do you know yeah. this person? Cause yeah. they could be like, right. In the middle of like, of yeah. In Texas, yeah. like, yeah. you know, anywhere. we might not know them. They right. might not be, they probably won't be seeing an MFM. Right. So that I know is going to be a big hurdle for me when we get there. But I'm like, okay, so we signed back with surrogacy and I'm like, all right, but I want to keep trying. So then I'm also now studying for my oral boards, which is like a huge deal and an extremely stressful time. But I'm like, I don't want to put things off more. So I'm like doing both at the same time, which probably wasn't the best idea, but it worked out. Yeah. So that's okay. So I am like, Dr. Reichman, let's try another fresh transfer because that's how we had Ryan. And although it is scary that I could have a genetically abnormal embryo, I think I was 33 at the time. Like, let's just try it because that's how we got Ryan. So he's not happy, but he like <laughs> begrudgingly proceeds and we do another um, fresh transfer and it doesn't work. But now we have a lot more embryos. So we got 14 from that cycle. So mm. at this point, we have like over 20 genetically tested normal embryos, right. which is like unreal. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why he lets me keep going because right. we do have a, right. a lot, of embryos. lot of embryos. If we didn't, we'd have to use them more sparingly. So then I keep begging him to try. And I'm like, I'm not like, I know the risks. I know, you know, but I want to keep trying and we're not matching with the surrogate anytime soon. So right. let's go. So then... Embryo transfer number 10 happens on Good Friday last year. So ending my second year of fellowship. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was in the ultrasound unit and doc- and I, I like go back and forth if I test before, if I don't test before. I think at that point, I was like, it's probably not going to work. I'm not going to test again. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point? And I remember him, he called me. Usually his nurse calls me and he called and he was like, you're pregnant. And I was like, what? Like, seriously? Like, I didn't really believe him because. Right. So many times know. it yeah, happens. So many yeah. times it happened. And I was like, and we picked a boy from Ryan's batch because I had like transferred a few girl embryos. And then I was like, I don't care. Just do whatever you want. Right. I've gone back and forth. But this was the first time we'd used a boy from Ryan's batch. And I was like, maybe it's like right. the boy. Good. <laughs> like this is like yeah, the good, good food. Like good, good juju. juju. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm like, yes, this is great. But then of course, you know, we had the nine week loss previously. So I'm like, right. You know, hope, yeah. like hopeful, but yeah. nervous. And you're, and you're, you're scarred. Completely. Yeah. PTSD. So what, 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 what ultimately happened with that pregnancy? So about nine weeks, I was going to Reichman basically weekly mm-hmm. because, yeah. Yeah, because I was anxious yeah. um, and he understood that. And he's like, nine weeks, he's like, this looks a little weird. And I'm like, like, I couldn't tell if it's like edema or like what's behind 
the back of the yeah. the baby's back and the head, or if it was just like the membrane and he's doing a transvaginal ultrasound, it's like I can really scan myself. And I'm like, I don't know. Can you like move it a little this way? Move it a little this way. Show me the head. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know. And he's like, I don't love it. I'm like, I don't love it either. So then I'm like in a panic mode and I'm like, I'm running to our ultrasound unit at Mount Sinai West. I call my husband, like, you need to just like drop what you're doing. And he was on a research last year, mm-hmm. last year. So he was pretty flexible. I was like, you need to just drop what you're doing and meet me at the ultrasound unit. And of course, like we're so invested in this pregnancy that, I mean, you know, he came, it wasn't like a question. And everyone there is like, this is early. Like we don't know, like it's hard yeah. to say. And it didn't look super abnormal at that right. point. But like, it's early. We don't know. So that was maybe early in the week. And then I remembered it looked Friday at the end of that week and it looked okay. And then I think the following Wednesday, I, you know, I was like obsessively scanning myself. It looked bad. And I remember my parents were away because I'm very close to my parents. Like I would, you mm. know, tell them everything. And I was like, this just does not look good. Like there's yeah. edema everywhere. Right. That's fluid around the embryo. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point I had had my, and it was genetically tested, but I also had my NIPT and that came back normal. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, well, we should do a CBS. But then I'm also like, what's the point? Because I know how this is going to turn out. And I need to just terminate. And I just remember, I was like, do I do the CBS? What's the point? Like going back and forth. We decided to, because we decided if the baby died before we got to the termination that we, you know, would want like the best cells possible. So right. I had a CBS. For testing. Right. Yeah. So I had a CBS Thursday of that week. And I just, every time I sat down for the ultrasound, I was like, please just be no heartbeat. Please just be no heartbeat. Because I didn't want it yeah. to like make the decision. I just wanted it to be made for me. And then the termination was scheduled for the Tuesday, the next week. And I remember I just told, like told my parents when they got back from their trip. And my mom was like, are you serious? Like, how are you saying with this with such a straight face? And I think I just like was numb. And I had like, couldn't even like show emotions at that point. I was like, this is what it is. Like it's done. And at that point, our son like was two, over two. So he was like talking and like understood. Like, we, were, you know, we kept being like, oh, here's the embryo. Like, this yeah. is your baby, brother, whatever. And so like he was telling people like, oh, there's a baby in my mom's belly. And like, Ugh. yeah, so that that was rough. But then I remember Monday, I was like, okay, let's just look. And I was still alive and it looked horrible. And we were like, okay, well, we have to do this. So yeah. we went back to Beth Israel family planning where I yeah. had done my rotation. I knew everyone. And they were just yeah. like, I'm sorry. And like, it yeah. sucks being on the other side. Um, And after that, was rough for a while. I posted on a fertility group that I'm part of. I'm like, has anyone been through this? Like an IVF pregnancy that I've worked so hard to get to and you have to terminate for a medical reason. And I spoke to someone who went through something similar, although she lived in Texas and had to go to Colorado. I was like, I was so lucky to live in New York. And just talking to someone who's been through it, who understands, like it gets easier. And now- What are you guys doing now? Oh, to make- that not even after that. So then he does an SIS after my DNC. And then of course I have retained products again. So then I have a hysteroscopy. It was July of this year. And then I have my Foley bullet again. Oh God. So now Dr. Reichman is like, no, we're done. And I'm like, no, we're not. We're not done, Dr. Reichman. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I want to do it again. Cause now I know I can get pregnant. It's even more right. frustrating. Although he's like, well, maybe there was a, like your placenta didn't. Right. Wasn't working properly because right. of your thin lining. Right. Right. So I don't know, but I know it can happen, which makes me want to do it more. Mm-hmm. But now I'm just taking a break because yeah. I'm just enjoying life. How, how do you, I mean, listen, it's obviously you have a, a beautiful, wonderful son, right. but you also have so much heartache, you yeah. know, over the past, you know, three plus years going through all this. Yeah. How do you stay so positive and so chipper? I mean, yeah. like you're, you're, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like right. you're, you're, you're talking about all these attempts and each one yeah. is, is a heartbreak, yeah. but you're, you know, you're, you're, 
going to work every day, you're taking care of people. Like you said, it's yeah. a very, very difficult situation to sort of see them all pregnant. Yeah. And you're, at least from my observation, you're not continually depressed. I mean, you see, you know, you have a really positive, yeah. you know, attitude and outlook. How, how do you do that? I think a lot of it I should attribute to my son because mm-hmm. you just have to keep going. Like if you have a bad appointment or like I have a termination, like mm-hmm. I, I can't be upset and, you know, crying all night when he's there. Right. Like you just have to kind of flip the switch around him and like pretend everything's fine. Right. Because you don't want him to see you upset. You don't want to you know, make him upset. Right. So you just keep going. And I think at this point, like my husband and I, like we're lucky to just have a normal health, you know, a healthy child because right. we see both of us see horrible right. things happen. So we're like, should we even like push the limits yeah. and like try to have another kid when like we see so many bad things happen right. in pregnancy and even when kids are born. Right. But we I, we really want to give him a sibling, which is yeah. like the only reason I think we're right. going to keep going. Right. But I think it's we really just keep going like, for Ryan and that's what keeps us so upbeat. And as time like gets further and further out from that event, it's definitely like, easier to live like a day-to-day life. Initially after it was like all I could think about and just right. consumed me. And it was hard like in certain situations when I saw an ultrasound that looks like our baby had lots mm-hmm. like to not get upset by that. But now I think it just helps me, you know, understand what patients are going through more and counsel them. Like, yeah, I'm pretty obviously very open about everything. So like, I understand what they're going through. I can share that with them. I know what it's like to have a CBS and go through like the emotions of not knowing and what yeah. the outcome is going to be. Yeah. I was going to ask you, you know, a lot of what I was asking you is how does your experience affect you, yeah. like your own emotions? But I was going to ask you, how has this made you different as a doctor taking care of women under maybe not the exact same circumstances, but certainly the same themes and the same sort of, you know, uh, motifs come up, you know, in in counseling and different situations. I mean, I kind of read the room. I don't want to make a patient uncomfortable by telling them what I've been through and like put it on, like make it about me. But I think, you know, I just kind of get a vibe from them and see if it, they seem receptive. And if so, I do share my story because again, I think it just makes it like they see I'm a person. I know what they're going through. I can sympathize with them and they can be open with me and ask me questions about everything. Right. Wow. Olivia, thanks for coming on and telling your story. It is, it is hard to tell the story. And uh, you know, you, as you said, you're an open book, but I think it's too, you know, it's, it's to the benefit of our listeners to know what people go through. And then again, not everyone knows that people are going through this. Right. This could all be behind the scenes sometimes for people's yeah. friends and family. And you just don't know what people are going through when they're trying That's to build their sure. families. And sometimes they're fortunate and it's very easy. And other times it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, and everything in between. Yeah. I mean, a thousand nurses every day on in the hospital say, when is the next one coming? Because oh. everyone's so excited. I'm like, sometimes they make it up. We're trying. It was really hard for us to have Ryan. When you find me a surrogate, where's your next one? Frozen on ice at Cornell. I start getting creative. How's how's your uterus? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Can I I, I borrow that for about 10 months? Sometimes I blow it off and sometimes I just think of creative answers. (laughs) Wow. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Dr. Fox. This was, (laughs) I love you calling me Dr. Fox. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. We're going to end with that. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. 
Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.